Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Navin Prasad, Vice President of Revenue Operations at 1Password, a company on a mission to build modern, accessible apps with privacy and security at their core. Millions of customers and more than 100,000 businesses trust 1Password to keep their most important information safe. Navin, it's an honor to have you on the show. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, we dive right in, so we're going to get started. As you reflect on your career, and I know you're going to throw me a curveball already because we were prepping and I'm looking forward to it. What's a critical initiative that stands out in your mind that had a major impact on revenue performance? It's hard to really pick one. I've been doing this, I feel like, for 20 years, the last eight years in SaaS. And you know, at every stop, it's the same story. It's I'm attracted to pain. I'll say that first off. And that pain usually um, manifests itself in three areas. It's, you know, how do I process the demand efficiently that's coming through the systems with the right amount of data to the right people quickly that we can make use of it? How do we price and package in a way that's simple for the sellers yet keeps them honest with how we price and discount? And then lastly, how do we take those two things and turn it into a forecast so that we can understand the nuance of our business the attainment that we would see on a monthly and a quarterly basis that gets us to the growth that we're looking for. Maybe we start with processing the demand that's coming in via the systems and getting that to the right people. Where did you first feel that pain? The first place would be my first stop in SaaS. That would be at a company called Vision Critical, now known as Alita. They are a leader in the market research space on a SaaS platform. And when I say I'm attracted to pain, it's typically companies grow and scale to a point where they realize they need someone in charge of all this stuff. There's a lot of systems. There's a lot of data reporting, lack of process. And they need someone to kind of like be in the middle of it and like figure things out. That's where I that's where I first saw it and witnessed it firsthand. And the best way to understand that pain is to sit in the life of an SDR, to then really and fully appreciate the things that you need to go solve and fix so that they can focus on, you know, being the best at their job rather than trying to be the best SDR slash analyst slash data enrichment slash everything else that they're trying to do to, to you know to get to the get to their target. Are there must-haves or is there enough consolidation that you don't need to go to 10 different vendors to serve SDRs today? By no offense to any vendor platform in the market, but a tool is not a solution to the problem. It is the car you jump in to get on the road to get into that solution. There are vendors that I love that I've used um, and sort of like how I go and order a meal at a restaurant. If I've had it before, I'm going to do it again. And I've brought those to companies that I've been to, but... I always knew that I needed to understand the problem before I jumped to the solution. And that served me well. You, you mentioned something about the fact that you know you, you have formed partnerships, right? Multi-company partnerships in a way with some of the preferred tool vendors that you've that you've leveraged. A lot of listeners may be thinking, hmm, how do I knock an incumbent out? Has there ever been an instance where like you were fairly loyal to a particular company and somebody prospected you and was able to knock the incumbent out. And I'm, I'm really looking for the details here. Replacing an incumbent is difficult. It's not just the relationship you've established with the vendor and the fact that it's just doing the thing you needed to do. Switching costs are real. It's it's hard. It's unplanned sometimes. And even when it is planned, it's it's a little painful. But 
if there are opportunities whereby you could do more with less or basically get to your objectives faster, you can't not consider it. At the end of the day, I, I'm, I love the tech that I use, but I'm, I'm not married to it. I'm married to the outcomes for the, for the company and for the objectives we need to get to. And I'm willing to jump into any car that will get me there. Yeah, and I think your comment there about do more with less is is very much a 2023 phenomenon once again, right? Is it, it's a time when the switching cost may be may be warranted if you're able to save a substantial amount of money, if you're able to consolidate the complexity of your of your tool stack. So so that that makes total sense. You'd mentioned in in this kind of piece of of these three issues that you've seen, it's all about processing demand. Can you expand a little bit more on? Are you referring to the demands of engaging accounts of inbound, or is it even broader demands on the on the quote unquote system that you need to manage? Yeah, primarily from what I've seen, it's inbound. I've I've been lucky to work with a number of SaaS companies that had a very strong inbound presence. They're always trying to grow outbound, but inbound was healthy and strong. The problem is it was a little scattershot in that it wasn't efficient. You know, marketing was doing their thing. Sales was trying to do their thing, but there was something living in the middle that wasn't really working right. Things weren't, leads weren't getting to SDRs quickly or as efficiently. We were missing key data points that could have helped, you know, better convert. Scoring wasn't ideal. There's this like land of limbo that exists that sort of occupied by either marketing ops, rev ops, sales ops that really need to like, you know, build that bridge between those two functions being marketing and sales to make sure that there's a, a really smooth transition and handoff that, you know, we do this, we spend this much money to grab this many people that you engage on time and you fulfill your end of the bargain and we see what shakes out on the other end. Does that necessarily mean pulling sales ops and marketing ops in into a single function? Or have you found in the different places you've been, even if those functions were in different places, reporting to different leaders, there was still some best practices for orchestrating that that cooperation. Huh, that's a. I, I'm going to get in trouble for however I answer this question. <laughs> I think having done both, having led sales and marketing ops, and now just leading rev ops, which you know is the new cachet term, and a lot of companies does mandate rev ops. I presently don't have uh, marketing ops under my portfolio today. So to me, uh, having this maturity now, it's really about having strong working relationships, regardless of reporting lines. Obviously, you know, marketing into the CMO, RevOps into the CRO, you just need to have very clear communication and over-communicate and really be aligned on the fundamentals, on the way that the systems behave, the SLAs, the expectations. Reporting lines then really don't matter as much as long as you can both agree on like, these are the priority things that we're going to go do together. And these are the things that we're going to parking lot for later. If you have that level of relationship, people seeking wins, not glory, you're then in a position to be successful. I think one of the things speaking to SLAs is how one defines a lead. And when I was on, I was in marketing before I was in sales. And, you know, I thought everything, any human that I had an email address and a name that was at a, a reasonable account, right, was a was a lead. And when I moved into sales, I, I disabused myself rather quickly of that of that notion. How have you managed that conversation around, you know, what qualifies as a as an MQL? I'd say I, I manage this conversation like I do anything within my like RevOps framework. I try to be as neutral as possible. 
I have a reporting line into sales org, but I don't speak like someone coming from the sales org. I, I try to be like Switzerland, right? And by sort of being impartial, removing the emotion, you can then, then get down to the core facts to understand, well, here's what converts and here's what doesn't, and here's why. And when you can sort of articulate, you know, data to prove out, you know, why you would make one decision over another, you can get alignment much quicker and remove sort of the back and forth emotional conduct that tends to happen between the age old, you know, marketing versus sales. You're in a great position now that you get a mix of different types of of leads that are coming in, right? I'm, I'm sure you have the sort of classic webinar and content download. You've got the other extreme, right? The demo request direct talk to sales, but you also have the, the sort of PLG motion in the middle where people can access and use the the platform. How are you approaching PLG leads in particular? I absolutely love this question because I'm, I'm, I'm pushing this mindset as far and as wide as I can. I think someone who's gone down the PLG route uh, to your product has taken a position that they don't want to speak to a human right now. They want to go through the product experience. They want to understand What's underneath the covers? Is this right for me? And when they've reached those aha moments, that's when you should be reaching out to then capitalize on like right place, right time to get that conversion. If you're jumping on people the minute they've like, you know, you know, doubled uh, to uh, double opted into your to your service and have yet to start, you're more likely to get rejected. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I think to take things even further, I was having dinner last night with a couple friends of mine. One of them was Ray Reich, who is at RevOps Squared. It's like a consultancy, and and he also does an outstanding podcast called Metrics That Matter. And he was, we were talking about PLG as well, and and this point came up that absolutely you, you don't want to engage too early. You know, he was also he had recently interviewed on his podcast the CEO of Pendo, and you know the CEO of Pendo made the statement that any need to talk to a human is a is a bug, not a feature. And, you know, very much the point of the, of this PLG piece that you should, and, you know, Pendo obviously has, a, has a, a horse in that race, but the, the idea being that the product, right, should answer all those questions when you're ready to buy, the product should prompt that and, and so on. As you've been thinking about, about that motion of when salespeople should, should get involved, are you, uh, imagining a world where sales moves into more of like a, a product specialist sales engineer kind of role and and not necessarily as active in in the selling motion I think it depends on the company and the product I think the sales role or capacity in that framework could be better positioned as an advisor or your your, your trusted like sort of like Sherpa along the guide of whatever it is you're trying to solve and almost like a project manager within that vendor to get you to the right resources to help you make the right decision for your company and, you know, get you to your, you know, aha moment with respect to, you know, getting launched in live. That time to value is super important. And one of the things like, you know, buyers like myself are always thinking about when I'm going to market for a new solution, it's not how much is it going to cost? How much work is it going to drive on my team? What I'm going to get out of it? But how quickly can I do all those things? Because that's going to factor in on how much time I have left in the year to get to the things I need to do. Because time is the enemy of all quotas. If your number one priority is to understand how quickly am I going to get to value and how sure am I going to be that the implementation is going to be successful, which I think is implied in that as well, how do you gain faith that what the salesperson is telling you 
is going to be accurate. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's pretty hard because I've seen you know both sides of that on the on the buying experience and sometimes left holding the bag, sometimes thinking, "Wow, you guys should even charge for your implementation because that was amazing." It's difficult. I think I would love to always have like a sales engineer on the call so that I could, you know, have a mix of the technical questions versus the commercials, you know, quickly try out their support and understand like what their responsiveness is there and how quickly they are to like, how how well are they staffed to address the kinds of questions that might come up? What's their documentation look like on their website for me to self-serve things that I would normally need to go and ask you for? Those are all like, good indicators and whether they're trying to sell me speeds and feeds or whether they really know what my problem is and are trying to solve that and everything else just comes with it. I learned something from one of my friends. His name is Ralph Amini. He's an enterprise sales leader that one of the things he tries to do is arm his reps with effectively, I don't want to get too geeky statistically, right? But distributions of implementation time. And then he similarly arms them with, okay, like there were these implementations that took two months there were these implementations that took a year. The reps should know the story about what happened for the the two month version and the year version because a lot of times that's right. It, it was communication, commitment, responsiveness on on and the part of the customer, frankly, right that they that they were engaged, right. And maybe the one year one is because some key resource was not available or some key resource turned over. So to the extent that you can line up those resources before the contract is signed, I think that's a, you know, pretty, pretty amazing way to reduce perceived risk. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, so we, I mean, we talked a bit about sort of this, how to process the demand through the system. You mentioned that the other thing that pops up every, everywhere you go is, is around pricing and packaging. So can you speak a little bit to, to, you know, where that came up and how you approached it? It usually starts off in some simple homegrown fashion and then usually ends up in something that is overcomplicated in the CPQ. I like to be somewhere in the middle where I have at least enough control to sort of manage the other side of the business that generally gets forgotten, which is renewals and everything else. But at the same time, make it simple. Leading with empathy from a RevOps position is super important because as a seller, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get to your target. Right. That's why you're here. And I need to give you uh, the tools. I need to arm you with the enablement to get there and make it simple. And I feel as though like leveraging that mindset so that I'm not building the, the perfect machine, but I'm building the thing that's good enough that keeps everyone happy through sales, through support, through finance, et cetera, that allows the business to keep moving. Then, you know, then it's a win. As I mentioned, we have a, a mixture of people who are early stage through 100 million plus in, in ARR. At what point should people think about putting a formal CPQ in place? I think at the point where you realize that you might be leaking with respect to how you're pricing or you're starting to see slowness in your either your sales velocity or or your ARR per customer on growth. These are levers that like hide inside of your business that with the right amount of fine tuning and control can actually continue to to foster the the growth that you're looking for when, you know, your sales team might not be mature enough to do it on their own. You said as you've gone through your career, you've seen these three things, right? The processing the demand that's coming into the system, this pricing and packaging issue. And then the third thing is, is taking those two and 
and translating that into something something workable. Can you, you speak a little bit to how those those pieces come together? Yeah, and th- I said them in that order because that's exactly the sort of the way I which I need them to be solved and unfolded before I can get to the third thing, which is understanding sort of the rhythm of the business. Are we creating pipeline? Are we progressing it through in a way that I can measure it? And then how do I forecast it versus our targets? And how do I measure you know performance for the business? I've led company forecasts at my last three stops, and it's because of sort of looking at the business that way, getting to a point where, okay, we've reached the maturity both in our process, in our data, in our enablement, that last one being the most key. Because if the reps don't understand what's important to a forecast or what's not, you'll always be fighting them to try and get to the right conclusion. And then getting to a point where you can then provide a narrative back to the business which is key. People want to understand, you know, how are we doing right now? Are we good? Are we surpassing our targets? Are we below? Why or why not? And you can't answer those contextual questions without a good understanding of the data. And you can't get to good data without the process and the tooling in place. I share the same passion for forecasting. My rule of thumb is to call the quarter on the 15th day within plus or minus 5% of where you're going to land. That's my, that's like my hard and fast rule. I love the accountability through visibility, and I, I agree. I think that's one of the principal ways that forecasting creates economic value is you're just much more likely to get deals inspected. And if you're more likely to get deals inspected, you're much more likely to win them if you're regularly looking at it as opposed to just kind of being much more ad hoc about it. Navin, thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom uh, and your journey with us today. Thanks for inviting me and enjoying the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.